0: Good morning and welcome once again to Malvern Hill Baptist Church. My name is Craig Thompson. I am the senior pastor here. And it is our privilege to have you gather with us this morning And as we've come together to worship. I started off uh, worship this morning in the gym and uh, enjoyed my time back there with those folks. So it's, it's like we're worshiping in two places at once. So I don't even have to get in my car, though I just walk up the hallway. So uh, really thankful for that. Um, and we are, we are going to continue to work to try and improve improve that in, in coming weeks because we recognize that we're going to see more and more of these uh, sort of bad weather days that are going to drive us indoors and we don't know exactly when all the snow that I'm praying for is going to finally arrive this winter and when it does, you know, we'll have to... Why are y'all laughing? I mean, hey, we won't get it if y'all don't believe it. We got to pray with belief, you know. We, maybe we have not because we ask not. Maybe some of y'all don't have enough faith. All right, preach it. All right. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 Hebrews chapter 13 so if you want to go ahead and turn there thank you so much for those of you who were able to participate here on campus for our trunk or treat last night as well as for those of you who gave out uh, cards and saw people in your homes and prayed for folks they came by and trick-or-treated I believe we had a really good opportunity a lot of folks that came through here last night that just were really grateful that we did something to try and make life uh, a little taste a little bit like normal yesterday and so we were able to do that and hopefully share the love of Jesus with some folks uh, as a result of that. So we are grateful for all those things. But you've come here today, hopefully to worship the Lord Jesus, uh, to hear His Word preached and proclaimed, and to honor Him with your gifts and and your offerings. And so this morning we're going to gather together, we're going to stand, and we're going to read from God's Word beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7. Not 1 Corinthians, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. I don't even have any idea where that came from. I can't even tell y'all that was my Bible reading this morning because it wasn't. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the love that you've given us that was displayed, Lord God, especially on the cross of Calvary as we just sang this morning. We praise the name of the Lord our God who, Father, not only died for our sins, but, Lord God, you rose from the grave, and, Father, uh, the Son returned to you, and one day he's coming again. And, Father, we celebrate that, and we look forward to it, God. We recognize, we understand, we acknowledge that we live life in this world as your church, as your people, Lord God, proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeking to live that out. Lord God, bless us this morning as we learn better what that would look like. Help us as we try to figure out exactly what it looks like to live life in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what does life in the church look like? I know we ended that sentence with a preposition. Just deal with it. It's okay. What does life in the church look like? Maybe you'd ask the question a little bit differently Uh, Perhaps, how does life live together in the church look? Regardless of how you spin it, how can we live life together in the church and make a difference in the world? How should your active participation in the church look? There are a lot of illustrations we could run to, but perhaps none that are as concise and as apt as a picture that we get of the church in Acts chapter 12. And in Acts chapter 12, we're told that King Herod killed James and that Peter had been arrested. Things were bad. And Herod intended to bring Peter out to the mob after the Passover. But then in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, we get this. This is the Craig version. But the church prayed. All of these things happened, but the church prayed. The church didn't riot. The church didn't advocate. The church didn't scheme a plan to to, to bust Peter out of prison. The Bible says the church prayed. Simple but profound. The church prayed. The church banged on the door of heaven. The church continued to gather. The church continued to worship and pray and cling to God's word and make a difference in the world. The Bible says as a result of those prayers... The gates of the prison shook and Peter walked out. And that's something. And that's something the church prayed and God heard from heaven. And God brought about what the church could have never hoped to accomplish on her own because the church prayed. Why would the church do that? Because the church is different. And what does life in the church look like? If it doesn't look like anything else, it has to look very different from the world around us. Do you understand that? If it doesn't look like anything that you're comfortable with or used to, that's probably a good thing. Because life in the church should look very different than life in every other institution in the world. My goal this morning is twofold. First, to make sure that we understand, as members of Malvin Hill, as attenders here, we, we want to understand what life in the church should look like so that we can live faithfully in Christ's church here. That we can live it out. Secondly... I want to make sure that we understand what it looks like so that God may allow us to help other churches to live faithfully and to impact the world. You see, I'm thrilled for all that God allows us to be a part of and to do here at Malvern Hill. But we desperately need for God to create more and more faithful communities of faith scattered across our county, across our state, and across our world. So that the gospel may be proclaimed and the Great Commission may be fulfilled. We've got a responsibility not only to live for Jesus right here in the community that God's placed us in, but to help others understand what it looks like to be a part of a faithful faith community. How do you do that? By living it faithfully among those that you know. By participating actively in your church regularly. By being that person that speaks up often when somebody wants to gripe about their church and say, I don't know what you're talking about because I'm a part of a place where the people love each other and they love God and they're trying to make a difference in the world around them. Folks, we've got an opportunity to do that. And I believe we can see much of what it looks like to live in the church or to have life in the church from God's Word right here. Now, I want to say something to you. There's never been a point in time when I've been able to exhaust a passage of Scripture in one sermon. And that's no more true uh, in this sermon than any other. There's a lot in this passage of Scripture that harkens back To to the particular experiences of the Hebrews. And and we're going to gloss over some of that this morning. And we're not glossing over it because it's not important. We're going to gloss over it just because of the simple fact that we just can't dig into all of that this morning without us spending an extra hour or so. And as much as I would enjoy preaching to you for an hour, some of you, your eyes would begin to glass over. Uh, You'd start thinking about lunch or basically anything other than listening to me. And so we don't want that to happen this morning. So just know if you've read this passage of Scripture and there's a lot of things that have jumped out, You that I'm not hitting on, there's a lot of things in here that I'm not going to hit on this morning. And and so always recognize that when I preach, I never exhaust the scripture because the scripture can never be exhausted. That old adage is so true, right? That the scripture is shallow enough for the youngest child to wade in, but deep enough for us to drown an elephant. And, And it just seems to get deeper and deeper the more that we read because the further we study God's word, the more it speaks to us, the more it changes us, the more it affects us. So keep that in mind this morning as we consider. What it looks like to live life in the church. The first thing I want us to see this morning from this passage of Scripture is that we should consider our leaders. You should consider your leaders. Right there in verse 7, remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. But it's not just there in verse 17. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There's this admonition to remember your leaders, consider your leaders, and to obey your leaders. All three bear our attention. First, remember your leaders. Remember them. This isn't remember them by like, remember to give them something or remember to pray for them. All those things are awesome. But this is remember them as in bring to remembrance those people who led you, served you, and what they did. Remember how they sacrificed. Remember how it was that they gave and they faithfully served. Remember their commitment. This, for the record, is part of why I believe that long-tenured pastorates are so important. Because a church needs to see her pastor stay long enough to struggle. To see her pastor stay long enough to suffer. To see her pastor stay long enough to, to know that there were times when he didn't want to be there, but he was committed to being there anyway. Those things show the church that that pastor is committed beyond the moment. Remember the sacrifice and the commitment of your pastors. When a pastor stays long enough, the church sees him struggle and sees him. Sometimes I run my words together. Church sees him. Sees him struggle and triumph. The church sees that pastor uh, um, or or they know his sacrifice, they see his commitment, and they see it even when it's hard. Remember that. How, How valuable is it to you if you can look at your leaders and you can say, hey, they've been through a hard time. They've been through a struggle. We've walked that journey together. He says, remember that. The second thing he says this morning is not only to remember, but to consider. Don't just remember their sacrifice. Consider, look to those godly leaders and consider how their godliness affected their lives. The writer of Hebrews says, look to the evidence right here. Look and see, consider consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There's an evidence-based argument being made right here. Don't just look at them and go, oh, that seems like a good idea. Ask yourself the question. Do those godly leaders, has, has their godliness affected the outcome of their life? Do you see what's happening in their life as a result of thinking, man, I want a part of that. How many of you, when you got married, for those of you that are married or have been married, how many of you got married were able to look and say, that's the couple that I want to imitate my life by? Right, Most of you, and, and look, if you are married or if you're thinking about getting married one day and you don't know one of those couples, seek them out. And if you need to help finding one, come to me. I will point you in the direction of one. Right? We, we need those role model couples in our life. And we need to say, hey, I want to live like them. I want to have the outcome of their life. Because when we see what's happened, then, then we're convinced of the value of fidelity, Right? I want what they have. The writer Hebrew says, look at your leaders and consider how the outcome of their life, what the, what the results have been of their godliness, the outcomes have been. He says, and based off of that evidence, I would urge you to follow after their example. This is why pastoring is not always fun, right? Because I'm the pastor everywhere I go. And it matters how we carry ourselves and how we live our lives. This is why pastors should be, of all people, filled with joy. Because for goodness sakes, if I don't have joy in what I'm doing, what hope do I have to convince anybody else to follow after Jesus? Okay, so consider that. And then third, he says that not only to consider, but he says to obey. Now, this is one of those things within the life of the church that causes us to be very different from the world around us because this idea of obey and submit run very counter to American values and especially our current cultural moment. And you can understand why as your pastor, I can be a little uncomfortable talking to you about it sometimes, but it's right here in God's Word. Obey your leaders. Why? You should obey your leaders because of the other two things. You should obey your leaders because you've... Uh, You you know what they've done for you. You've seen their sacrifice. You should obey because you see that on the result, on the back end of that, they, they live lives that are filled with joy and satisfaction and peace, that God's actually made a difference in their life and it's evidence. But also, once you've looked at the pattern of their life and understood that God gave you leaders, you need to look at God's Word and be reminded that God gave you leaders not to lord authority over you, but to serve you. So God God says right here in his word, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Do you know how awful it is for me to consider that I'm going to have to give an account before God for some some of y'all? That's right. took you a minute to catch it, didn't it? Yeah. You looked in the mirror this morning. Now think about this. Craig is going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for me. Think about that. Right? And then tell me if you did me any favors yesterday. says as those who have to give an account and watch this let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that will be of no advantage to you can i just share from a pastor's heart one of the worst things about being a pastor it's this pastor craig i'm really having this struggle in my life can you help me figure out how i might change this particular thing and i say let me pray with you let's work through this and we'll meet several times and we'll, we'll look at God's Word and help you understand why you should find joy in studying God's Word or help you understand why this particular sin is something that you need to repent of and you need to walk away from. And, and so we spend a few, a few uh, weeks or months working through a passage of Scripture ten years ago so that you could understand how it is that you might love the Lord better, love your spouse better, love your church better, love your children better, and then ten years later you walk back into my office and we're right in the same place that we've been and nothing ever changed. When it says let him do it with, without groaning, this is what you want to go, oh, right? Because I, I, I want to see you thrive. I want to see you find joy and holiness and happiness. And sometimes it's it's difficult because obviously I can't beat it into anybody or open your head up and pour it in. But I want you to find joy in serving the Lord. Helping you to take those steps. Consider your leaders. Consider your leaders. That's part of what life in the church looks like. Being led and being willing to be led. Understanding that your leaders are only doing their best to keep you safe spiritually and to help you thrive. Not only this world, but in the world to come. Consider your leaders. Second thing, cling to God's word. Now we look at verse 9. Now you're to consider your leaders, remember them and obey them. But verse 9 gives us a bit of a caveat. As long as they cling to God's word. See, this is, this is where this whole obey your leaders thing feels a little bit better because you're not blindly following if I say, hey, we're going to take up a special offering today. Craig needs a new Corvette, and uh, as soon as we can gather about $15,000 for a good down payment, then y'all can all be dismissed. Somebody in the back or the front or somewhere else is going to step up and go, uh oh, I don't think so. And I'm going to say, the Bible says obey your leaders. And hopefully, if I've done a good job as your pastor for the past 13 years, somebody else is going to stand up and go, uh, where's that in God's word? Right? It's not a blind following. We're clinging to God's word. You're holding your teachers, your leaders accountable to God's word. You're to consider your leaders, remember, and obey them as long as they cling to God's word. How can you do that, though? By doing a little bit of homework yourself, right? You got to know God's word, you got to spend time in God's word. Hold your leaders up to the standard of God's Word. Now, look, you can only hold them to the standard of God's Word. That is the only thing that you get to hold your leaders to, right? You don't get to come in and pitch a fit and and, and, and throw a a, a tantrum because you don't like the shoes that I wore on Sunday morning. I did wear my church shoes today, so we're good, right? Right? But the standard is God's Word. Now, how can you avoid being led away by bad teaching or by by the error of false teachers? Spend time in the Word of God. Again, y'all have heard me say this so many times. I'm excited about next year. We're going to have the year of the Bible next year. We're going to work through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation beginning in January. We're going to read it together. We're going to preach it together. We're going to study it together. I'm very, very excited about this. And hopefully the more time you spend in God's Word, the easier it will be for you to, for instance, hold me accountable to be obedient to God's Word. So you can do that. You cling to God's Word. But even as you cling to God's Word, I want you to remember that life in the church still doesn't look like uniformity. Even as you cling to God's Word, there may still be disagreements and misunderstandings. A disagreement on interpretation over some issues in the Bible is not worth disfellowshipping. In other words, some things just aren't worth dividing over. Now, we've got to get the gospel right. We've got to get Jesus right. Because if we don't understand who Jesus is and what he does, or what he did and what he continues to do, then we, we don't have anything else right. It's the foundation for us. It's not open to discussion. But not everything is a gospel issue. Especially those things in the Bible that... Or, excuse me, those things the Bible doesn't speak clearly to or specifically about. You say, well, Craig, is there anything the Bible doesn't tell us for sure? Yeah, the Bible's pretty vague on a few things that are not of great importance, right? So, for instance, who wrote the book of Hebrews? We have absolutely no idea. Some of you might think that Luke wrote the book of Hebrews. It's okay for you to be wrong. That's just fine. Some of you might think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Again, if you want to be wrong, that's your own business. Some of you might think that, uh, that Barnabas wrote the book of Hebrews. Honest and truly, I have no idea who wrote the book of Hebrews. The argument for Barnabas is, is, is decent. The argument for some others is decent. But we just don't know. Why don't we know? Because God's Word doesn't tell us. Folks, if we're going to divide, that's not something for us to divide about. We've seen churches get into a mess because somebody makes a mountain out of what the Bible doesn't even make a molehill out of. You understand? And this is one of those things, one of those areas where we can just overlook if the Bible's not 100% clear and it's left up to interpretation, then we need to be willing to leave some things up to interpretation. Say, I love you, and I don't necessarily agree with where you, I don't, I don't read the Bible that way, I don't understand it that way. I don't believe that the rapture's going to happen exactly the way you believe the rapture's going to happen. I looked at the charts you made, and I don't feel like your charts line up with, with the book of Revelation, but I, I'm not going to divide with you over that. Right? I, I, I'm just not, because there are things that matter so much more, and we got the gospel right, and we got our understanding and commitment to the Word of God right. And in the middle, we're going to find a few things that we're going to read a little bit differently, but God is going to work it all out in the end. We got to cling to God's Word, though. Cling to it. And when I say cling to it, I don't just mean read it, I don't just mean hear it. I mean actually internalize it, live by it. How might our world look different if Christians took the Sermon on the Mount, not as just a series of good things Jesus had to say, but a pattern for how it is we should live our life? What if when we were reviled by others, we turned the other cheek? What if we literally prayed for our enemies and those who persecuted us? How might the world look different? Cling to God's Word. That's the second thing about life in the church, living life together in the church. The third thing is that we should worship regularly. Look in verse 15. Through Him, then let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name continually, regularly gathering for worship. Now, we've, we've hit on this topic already in the book of Hebrews that we should not forsake the gathering together of ourselves as a group of believers. That's, that's one I just quoted to the King James Version, but that's one we've already addressed. But here we see it again, a reminder that we are to worship regularly. We are to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Worship is an expectation for God's people. Now, look, there may be cost associated with worship. There may be costs associated with worship. In fact, our culture has shifted to such a degree that even in the United States, in many places, going to church doesn't increase one's social capital, but actually decreases one's social capital. In other words, there are some places in our country where going to church is actually frowned upon rather than celebrated. We live in the South, where for the most part, people still think it's an an honorable and admirable thing to attend a church and be a part of a church. The time is coming, and some places already has, where you may actually be less popular and less respected because you attend worship. Are we willing with Jesus to be outside the camp of culture? Are we willing with Jesus to bear scorn and reproach? In verse 11 through 14, we're urged to embrace shame and reproach just as Jesus embraced shame and reproach. Worship is a part of the Christian life. In fact... I would go so far as to say that if you do not worship regularly as part of a church family, I don't really understand how you can claim to be a part of a church. Now, let me create this, this, this sideways statement. Okay? COVID has changed a lot of things. And there are some of our folks who are worshiping right now online because uh, they, 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 they're undergoing chemotherapy or, or they've got other uh, pre-existing conditions that are keeping them at home. So, so let me just say that. I, and, and I acknowledge that. And I'm not, I'm not frowning on anybody that's in that category. So let's just say it this way. Prior to March of 2020, and Lord willing, somewhere after March or April of 2021, If you're not regularly gathering with your church family to worship, you don't have a church family. You just have a church that you've attached your name to. You understand? Now, that that doesn't come off as, as real positive, but the Bible is very clear. We are to gather regularly for worship. The church revolves around a weekly or regular calendar of worship. And if we do not gather regularly for worship, then who are we? How are we different from the world? Worship is a part of the Christian life. And folks, it's public worship and it's private worship. So I've been living mostly on this public worship idea. But there's also got to be these moments of private worship where we're spending time in God's Word. Spending time in praise to the Lord where we we find things that drive us to celebrate Him, to praise his, His creativity and His goodness and His glory. Because if our hearts have been captured by Him, we can't help but praise Him. Do you understand that? We should be different. Life in the church looks like regular acts of worship. And then finally this morning, life in the church is shown as we do good to the world around us. Do good. Listen, as evangelicals, we focus on the sharing of the gospel, and we must always give emphasis to that. And the reason we must always give emphasis to it is because, for for, for reasons that that probably chalk up to our original sin, uh, when we don't emphasize it, the proclamation of the gospel is the first thing that goes away in our missional endeavors. For, for reasons that I don't fully understand, it's often easier to do something nice for somebody than it is to actually share the gospel with somebody. So it's right for us to always emphasize the proclamation of the gospel. However, we cannot de-emphasize, we cannot de-emphasize the doing of good in the world around us. The Bible says that right there in verse... Um, uh, ugh. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifice or pleasing to God. Do not neglect to do good. There is, there's a negative statement right there. Not just go do good, but don't neglect to do good. You might put it this way. Don't neglect to do good when it's within your power to do so. Why miss out on the opportunity? How might our world be different if the people of God regularly and often and at every opportunity that we had, if the people of God sought to do good to the world around us? We did the fall. Uh, we didn't have a fall fest. We had a drive-through trunk or treat last night, and it was low key. And it was listen. It, it wasn't. I'll be honest with you. It wasn't what anybody would have liked to, to have done last night. Not exactly. Right, it was it, we we had on masks and, and like, like you know these kind of masks, not like you know Halloween masks. Um, anyway, let's move on. Um, we had on masks and we had on gloves. You know, I, I looked like I was going into surgery instead of just giving people candy. And, and I went to the, to their car windows and I, I'd say, hey, uh, listen, we got these bags. I'm gonna give you this bag. We're gonna ask you to hold it out the window, and we're just gonna throw back candy in your bag. Let us know how many kids you got so we can make sure we get them all sugared up real good. And then to almost every vehicle that came by, I said, Thank you for coming. I'm really sorry that this is weird. I'm really sorry this is the way that we need to do things this year. We're just trying our best to make a difference in the only way we can. And you know what I just repeatedly heard from people? Thank you for doing something. I had this one lady, she looked at me, she said, Thank you for giving my child an opportunity to have something that was sort of normal everybody understood that it wasn't what we wanted it wasn't what they wanted but they also appreciated the effort from a church to do something good now folks that's just one example what are the other good things that we can do it's not always just about gathering for a church event sometimes the good that we can do is helping somebody across the street as as sort of cliche as that may sound that's sometimes a good thing that we can do to help somebody that needs help getting their taxes done to help somebody that needs their yard cleaned up what are the good things that we can do in the world and folks some of those are not things that we got to go seek out sometimes what we have to do is just not neglect to do good when it falls in our laps my kids are in the gym, so I can't watch them judge me with their eyes when I share this story. But I pulled into my neighborhood. Um, I, I'd been hunting, so it was late a few weeks ago. And uh, there was a, a vehicle that was broken down in the road. I had two kids. I don't remember who all was with me. I had two kids with me. I remember that. Probably Wyatt and Aubrey. And uh, it was late. Um, it was dark. I needed to get them home. And all these other things. And I drove on in. And I drove on past the person. And Wyatt said, Dad, don't you think we ought to stop and help that guy? (sighs) Your mama's got dinner ready. I said, yes, we should definitely stop to help that guy. Because there it was, an opportunity to make a small difference in my like literally uh, 200 yards from my driveway well what did I want to do? I wanted to gratify my flesh, the desires of the flesh and just ignore that person so I dropped the kids off so they wouldn't be standing out in the road in the dark grabbed a flashlight, well I guess I had a flashlight, and I turned around and went back and I said is there anything I can do to help you? you know and so I, I helped the guy for just a few minutes, tried to share Jesus. He wasn't really interested in that, and that's okay, but I still just tried to make a little difference in the world around So I, I want to be honest with you. Like my, my, my natural inclination was not, let me go do this, because I wasn't living as I should have in that particular moment. Now, out of the mouths of babes, God sometimes calls us to account, doesn't he? Parents, if you raise your children to love Jesus, sometimes they'll love Jesus in spite of you, and they become an accountability for you. Right? Some of you know what it's like to roll over on Sunday morning and have that kid come to the bedroom and say, aren't we getting up and going to church? And you go, uh, well, I thought we would, you know. We all know what those things are like. But we're called to do good in the world around us. And, folks, that's what the church is. For goodness sakes, if the church is not a lighthouse for good in the world, then who else will be? And when I say that, hear me, I don't, I don't mean the church building. Now, I hope that a church building is that. I want Malvern Hill Baptist Church, the building that you all own as a part of this congregation, I want it to be a place where people say, I can go there and I can be safe. One of my favorite things to see is is our kids come home from college. I love it. Sometimes our kids go off to college and they don't always make the the best decisions in that first semester or that first year. And And I do enjoy seeing them limp into our sanctuary sometimes. And I don't enjoy seeing them get beat up, but I enjoy seeing them come home. Thrills my soul when I see them limp in and they know that there is a safe comfortable place where they can be loved parents if you need an excuse to keep your kids plugged into the local church there is no better reason than that they're not going to always be in your house and you want to make sure that even when they don't want to come and talk to you about what's going on that there's a church where they can go and feel safe and they can feel loved and they can hear the gospel and the gospel can wash over them it can make a difference I love seeing them limp in. Of course, sometimes they limp in and they call me, can we go to lunch on Monday? And I go, oh, yes, we can go to lunch on Monday. Or we can go to breakfast or we can do whatever. And folks, it just thrills my soul that they come home. What does it look like for us to be a hospital for sinners as a a building, but not just as a building, as a people? What does it look like? For the world to know that Malvern Hill Baptist Church is interested in changing the world and changing their lives. That it's not just a a thing that we say that we really, honest, and truly want to love God and love others and change the world. Even if that means just one person, one decision, one experience at a time. So what in the world does life in the church look like? Guys, if we're going to do it right life in the church looks very, very different from the world around us because it is a lifestyle structured by God for those who belong to Him. I I just want us to be reminded that 1st and 2nd century Christians were mocked because of their commitment to the local church. And the time may come when you too will be mocked by your commitment to the local church. But it's really not those people that we're seeking to satisfy. We're honoring the Lord with our commitment. Life in the church revolves around a weekly schedule of public worship and a commitment to God's Word and a commitment to loving one another. So I just ask you this question. Are you living this kind of life? If our church ended today, would your life be different If your life wouldn't be different without this church, you're doing church wrong. And watch this. If our church wouldn't be different without you, you're doing church wrong. But it doesn't have to be that way, does it? Because we serve a God whose arms are always wide open, and if we're honoring Him as the church... We are the church whose doors and arms are always wide open and anxious, not just for pew warmers, but for brothers and sisters in Christ who are committed to one another. Life in the church will look very different, and it won't always be easy, but it will always be worth it. Kevin's going to come in just a moment and begin to lead us in music. And this morning, I I just want to invite you just to be blunt honest, whether you're here in the sanctuary or in the gym, I think Pastor Buster's in the back and Pastor Adam, perhaps this morning, as a result of this, you recognize that you attend a church. Maybe you're even a member of the church, but you're not living your life as a part of the church. If that's who you are, if that's where you are this morning, perhaps this morning you'd like to come and spend some time in prayer here at this altar. That's one of the beautiful things about being inside, isn't it? Maybe I, 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 I could pray with you. I'd love to speak with you about what it looks like to be a more committed follower of Jesus Christ. Perhaps this morning you say, this seems like the kind of church I'd like to be a part of. I'd love to talk with you about what that looks like. Help you to understand what the next steps would be for you to become a follower, of G- uh, a member here at Malvern Hill. But it's also possible that whether you're watching at home or you're gathered with us this morning, it's very possible That you don't know what life in the church is like because you don't know what it's like to live life committed and connected to Jesus Christ. I want you to know that God loves you. And that regardless of where you are, where you've been, that God's arms are open for you. Just a few minutes ago I said the gospel is the first thing that gets neglected if we don't emphasize it. But what is this gospel? Gospel is a word that just means good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You say, saved from what? Saved from yourself. Saved from your sin. Saved from your shame. Saved from your past. Saved from eternity. Separated from God. Saved into a life of joy and abundance. There's an opportunity that awaits those who are the children of God. And this morning as we stand and as we sing, if you don't know the Lord, I would invite you to come. Let me talk with you about what it looks like to take that step of faith and to trust Jesus. Or perhaps this morning you just say, today's the day that I need to double down. Maybe, maybe COVID's been a really good excuse for you to be disconnected from your church. And today you say, you know what, I've got to find a way. I've got to find a way in the midst of this pandemic to be connected to my church. It might be different, it might feel a little bit weird, but I've got to find a way. Because I need the church more today than I ever have. However it is, the Lord's at work in your life. I encourage you to respond as we sing. Join with me in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. And thank you for the church. Father, the gospel is the power of God and salvation for all who would believe. But Lord God, the church is the community of those who believe and have been saved. And Lord God, I'm so grateful to be a part of this community. Father, I pray that you would raise up healthy churches. And Father God, you'd make us a more healthy one. Father, if there's somebody here today who doesn't know you, Lord God, I pray today could be a day of salvation. Also pray, Lord God, if there be somebody here today, Father, who has never really understood what it could be like to live life connected to the church, that today could be the day that, Father, their life has changed. pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing holy, holy, holy.